Welcome into this week's episode of the Cameron Chronicles. I'm your host, Derek Saul, and I am joined virtually by Shane Smith. We are in our respective basements, so our apologies if uh, the audio quality is not that great. And we are recording on Sunday afternoon, December 29th. Yesterday, Duke beat Brown, December 28th, and we'll talk a bit about that game, how Duke's been handling Trey Jones' absence due to mild foot sprain. He's missed the last two games. And what we're looking forward to with ACC play starting on Tuesday when Duke takes on Boston College and Cameron Indoor Stadium. Shane, how's your break been? You know, it's been great staying down here in Durham. Just uh, been watching some Duke basketball. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, nothing better. And, uh, well, yesterday, Duke hosted the Brown Bears, and it was an 11.30 a.m. game. Um, I have i don't think I've ever seen that before. But No, and uh, it, def- it definitely showed for, for both teams, really. And the first stat that really jumps out for you, you have to see, is that two-for-16 uh, three-point shooting for Duke. They had a... Um, you know, they've had made a three-point field goal in every game since 1989, December 1989. And that definitely looked in jeopardy till about five minutes to go. But, you know, Duke really relied on their strengths there, uh, forcing turnovers, you know, getting, getting offensive rebounds, 18 offensive rebounds. But, you know, it, it wasn't a pretty game. It wasn't as nice as a 25-point win would look like. But, you know, a win is a win. That's all I can really say. Yeah, and with Trey Jones' sideline, which we'll, we'll we'll talk a bit more later, but I think it's kind of hard for Duke get to get a quote-unquote pretty win. Um, just the offense doesn't flow as well without that traditional point guard and having Goldwire in there, and Goldwire has played really well in the two games that Trey Jones has been out, but you're, just, you're never going to get that offense to flow properly, but against Wofford, which I guess was as close to a pretty win as you're going to get without Trey Jones, where Duke really did whoop Wofford. That was December 19th, and Duke won 86-57, and really a commanding win. And in that game, it was Joey Baker, and in this game, we really saw Alex O'Connell had a really great game. Um, he's been he's probably been the biggest disappointment this year on the roster. I mean, I guess you could maybe maybe Matthew Hurt just given his higher expectations or something like that, but. Alex O'Connell has really not stepped up thus far and into what could have been a bigger role for him. But you mentioned that that three that three pointer drought, and Alex O'Connell was the one that hit both of those threes. He had season high fourteen points. And uh, what did you see from O'Connell yesterday? Well, uh, you know, I think with Trey Jones being out, obviously you don't want your player to be out, but it's really you know finding peace that you know different guys are stepping up different night Joey Baker had an off night in his first start but O'Connell he came out and you know didn't have the greatest first half but uh coach K really stuck with him and brought him out and you know before he hit those threes he was hitting some smooth nice pull-up jumpers in the mid-range and there were there were lineups out there against Brown that were simply not pretty offensively they would have I think it was Goldwire, White, Delorier, O'Connell, and more. And it's like you're looking at the lineup, like how is Duke going to score? But O'Connell really stepped up and answered that question in the second half. And, you know, 
Coach K said after the game, Joey Baker had starter's disease and he kind of got in his own <laughs> head and was taking shots like that. But if you know Joey Baker is ever going to have an off-shooting night, it's great to see that O'Connell's, you know, hopefully this is uh, for Duke that this is the start of, you know, him finding his rhythm. Yeah, and obviously it would be great if both O'Connell and Baker can get hot at the same time, but just having one of those guys as a, you know, as a as that lightning in a bottle scorer off the bench and, you know, really invigorating the team. I mean, you see how valuable it is when you get a guy to hit a couple threes and score 15 points off the bench or if one of them's in the starting lineup. I mean, that's that's really important for this team. And um, you mentioned and to go now into Trey Jones' injury, and Jones has been out the last two games in Duke's non-conference home wins with mild foot sprain. He's expected back for Tuesday's game against Boston College. But the two guys that really are most capable ball handlers on the team are Jordan Goldwire and Wendell Moore. Obviously those two behind Trey Jones. And when Jones isn't playing and Moore and Goldwire are out there or just one of them, those are guys that aren't really, aren't really good offensive players, especially in the half court. Both Moore and Goldwire don't have great shots. They don't really get to the basket that well. I mean, more, more can more than Goldwire, but Having in conjunction with that a confident O'Connell, a confident Baker, that helps open up the offense so much. And if Trey Jones is off the off the court, you need to have a confident Baker or O'Connell in there. Well, yeah, and you saw the last Trey Jones really would play, you know, 38, 39 minutes a game, barely getting off the court much. And I'm I'm not gonna say that. Duke should start playing Trey Jones, you know, 33, 34 minutes a game. Less than that to give O'Connell time, because I do think Duke is significantly better with Trey on the floor. But, you know, it definitely opens it opens some windows up if, um, you know, if Trey's ever tired, you're playing like a Thursday, Saturday, kind of late, late week thing. And really to go back to Wendell Moore, he struggled in the first half against Brown. It was not pretty, but... In the second half, he really started to get more aggressive. Was you know finishing better at the rim and you know four steals. The biggest development, in my opinion, for Duke right now is if Wendell Moore at you know six 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 seven can turn into a lockdown defender that can take out a team's you know an opponent's best small forward, specifically Jordan Nuora of Louisville. Yeah, and Wendell Moore certainly has the body for. It. I mean, you look at him; he has that the most pro-ready body of any any of the guys on the Duke team, and especially compared to the other the other high-end prospects on the team of Vernon Carey and Matthew Hurt. I mean, you can kind of see obvious flaws in their physical games of Matthew Hurt seems to be pretty weak, and Vernon Carey can seem slow at times, and that's not to say that Hurt and Carey aren't, aren't great prospects in their own right, and they're both much more skilled than Moore, but... Moore has the potential to, I mean, yeah, truly be a lockdown defender. And you mentioned those small forwards, but he's a guy that can really switch one to four. And specifically on a guy like Nora, who has a lot of size and also has that finesse. I mean, if Moore can be that guy, even if he's not playing that well offensively, he's someone that you'll see locked in playing a lot of minutes for Duke. Yeah, I mean, here's another thing to look at. I know, I know we talk a lot about this, but Still, looking at this Duke roster, obviously you're going to have White and Deloria graduating. 
I don't see how Stanley Moore and Hurt can leave after this year for the draft. I don't. If they do, I'm seeing like serious G League time for any of them. So this new, I was Coach K against Brown substitutes his nine rotation guys in all before the under 16 timeout. And, you know, with those three guys possibly staying another year, I think they personally should. I think this is a new, a new big trend for Mike Krzyzewski. So I actually think that Moore will leave after this year in a weird way. If he's not, not that, not that he's going to particularly deserve to get a high draft pick, but if he goes to the combine, I mean, he's someone that's going to measure out very well. He's really long, he's quick, and I, I think that he actually would be a first round pick. I think Hurt and Stanley. Well, Stanley wasn't really. I don't think anyone really expected Stanley to be a one and done guy coming into this year. Um, but for Hurt, I mean, I mentioned the most disappointing player for me. Matthew Hurt's the most disappointing for me. I don't know if you agree with that, but I mean, Matthew Hurt has. You know, coming in, he doesn't look like he has a body that that can handle ACC play and the NBA, and it's kind of seemed like that's the case. Well, I'm not going to be too concerned about his body. I'm gonna, I'll agree with you. He's he's been a bit of a disappointment, but you know, regardless of that, well, one thing that kind of popped into my mind watching watching the Brown game. Myshevsky has so so much he can do with this team, and I think that he could be utilizing Hurt a little bit better. Last year, I mean, you had John Williamson probably could have been, well, not probably he would have been an incredible force in the pick and roll. And Myshevsky used the pick and roll with Zion Williamson like less than ten times. I think it was seven or eight times throughout the course of the year. Can you imagine, like? A pick and roll with Trey Jones and either Hurt or Carey, Hurt, you know, pick and pop, Carey, pick and roll. I think there's a lot more that can be utilized with this offense. I think Hurt's been like a spot-up shooter at some times, and they'll put him, you know, like post-ups in the mid-range, uh, like a Dirk Nowitzki roll. But I think, you know, Hurt's been disappointment, been disappointing in his own right, but I think he can be utilized in a, you know, a slightly different way. Yeah, and Hurt's kind of, uh, you know, he's a... He's a very different player than what we're used to. I mean, I, I of the guys that have been, you know, he's 6'9", 6'10", and Duke hasn't really had a big that stretches the floor quite like him in recent years. That's just like Ryan Kelly. Yeah, um, which is, to be honest, before my time. It wasn't a, I wasn't a Duke fan growing up. I, I have pretty faint memories of Ryan Kelly. <laughs> um, but it is weird, and I, I would like to... I, yeah, he definitely needs to be utilized differently. I mean, he's incredibly skilled offensively. He's he's again, he's a six foot nine guy that shoots. I think he's at like thirty nine percent from outside right now. Yeah. But he's someone that yeah, I think that hopefully you're going to get to see Coach K getting creative with him and using him in different ways and letting him find his shot more because he is someone that Duke can turn to, and especially now bringing it back with. With Trey being out, I mean, when Trey's off floor, you know, Trey's having an off night. I mean, Matthew Hurt, uh, I think you said this going to the season. You thought Matthew Hurt could be the guy that could be, get the go-to bucket. I, I apologize for putting words into your mouth. but No, no, it, it, was, it was Hurt and Stanley. Yeah, but really after Trey Jones and, look, Vernon Carey is Duke's best scorer, but it's kind of, he's a, 
whatever. He's a different type of scorer because he he's not gonna he's he's not really creating his own shot. He's still just pretty much gonna need that entry pass. Um, but with her, if they can get him going and getting him more comfortable, I mean, that's how you really unlock the offense. And with Trey Jones playing really well, I mean, Vernon Carey has been legitimately unstoppable. And if Matthew Hurt can get hot too, I mean, that's a scary, scary offense for the Blue Devils. Well, I even I think Vernon Carey can be utilized a little differently. Obviously, he's dominating inside the in, inside the paint, but the problem is that he's dominating inside the paint. They're feeding him. He's getting his buckets. Like, yeah, that's, that's great. But when he comes off the floor, it's a completely different offense than with him on the floor. And Duke just gets very little offensive production and I think that if you start to uh, I still don't believe Javin Deloria is ever going to fill that outside shooting role that'll be able to space the floor but if you start because Carey can knock down the three-pointer if you start moving him outside then it's not that big a difference when he comes off the floor you could use her at the five like in my opinion the big reason that either Hurt or Stanley needs to develop as you know, I mean, Hurts averaging 10.4 points per game, but the reason that they need to, you know, establish as that clear number three option is because, all right, Trey Jones is out right now, but when Vernon Carey goes to the bench, they're having serious problems scoring the basketball. Yeah, and we're talking a lot about Trey being out, but realistically, when Trey's not hurt and he's playing, I mean, he plays 35 minutes a game. He's really not coming off the court. And so, yeah, it is a big concern of what happens in those four or five minutes or if he is out for an extended period of time with Trey. But with Vernon Carey, it's reality. When he's fully healthy, he's playing 22 minutes a game. So Duke does need to figure it out, and I agree. And I think that Matthew Hurd is probably the first step to that. And unfortunately, when Carey's off the floor and Javin comes in, I mean, Javin, um, I, 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 whatever, I, I, I don't mean to... I don't mean to attack Javon Delore. It's obviously watching him. He's uh, he's not similar to Matthew or Vern Carey. He's not going to have that physicality offensively or that nice touch, but he's someone that he really limits the offense. He can't really be a spot-up shooter, and you're also not really going to look to him in the post. And I think trying to figure out of when when Vernon's off the floor, you're, you really do need to figure out of how is this offense still going to be efficient. You can't just... You can't just say, you know what? It's when when Vernon carries off the floor, we're just going to try to play good defense, and that that's not how it works. Yeah, and, you know, Duke. I mean, Duke defense has been playing great, and we're obviously you know criticizing the offense right now. But I think in the grand scheme of things, you look at it. Look, Trey Jones is going to come back. The offense is going to get better. Duke hasn't scored under seventy points since that Kansas game, and. You know, if you looked at this Duke team after the Stephen F. Austin game and said, you know, they're going to be 11-1 with that lone, lone blemish to Stephen F. Austin, and, you know, they'll probably be ranked the number two team in the country uh, come tomorrow at noon. I think, you know, going into ACC play, they're they're building in the right direction. Yeah, and after that Stephen F. Austin game, obviously that horrific upset November 26th, and then Duke had... Really pretty sloppy game that Friday against Winthrop. And then the last four games, I mean, Duke has, they they basically couldn't have played any better. I had those huge wins against Michigan State and Virginia Tech and had the lopsided victories against Wofford and Brown. And now 
Now we're moving forward. We are in officially into ACC play. No more non-conference games. Very exciting. And uh, Duke will be playing Boston College Tuesday at 6 p.m. New Year's Eve. Uh, you'll have to make sure you get out of there quickly and file. I know you're going to be there. You make, make sure you file your article quickly so you can go see the ball drop. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I, I mean, against... Boston College, that's probably the worst team in the ACC, I believe, looking right now. Yeah, I mean, the Ken Palm has them as pretty pretty far down in the rankings. They're the 131st most efficient team. They're dead last. 2-0 yeah. in the ACC, however. Yeah, um, but Boston College is a team that I, they, they, did, they couldn't score 50 points against Richmond. So not to ever overlook an opponent, as I'm sure – as everyone learned their lesson for with Stephen F. Austin, but that's probably going to be Duke's going to open up with a pretty easy opponent there, and then they're playing Miami, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Clemson. So those realistically could be those are probably five of the seven or eight worst teams in the ACC. But then it's going to get really exciting as the season progresses. And uh, first huge matchup is Louisville in Cameron Indoor Stadium, January eighteenth, which is going to be absolutely wild that's probably going to be a top five matchup and i oh, guess yeah. what do you what are you looking forward to most acc play well like you said i mean with trey with trey coming back obviously it's going to take a little bit of time for that offense to get adjusted back around him and i think the start of acc play couldn't have been scheduled out you know more perfectly than for that situation as you said you know these next five games you know, they do could lose any of them. You lose to Stephen F. Austin, you could lose to anybody. Duke could lose any of them, but they're not going to be those games, you know, until that Louisville game. And this could come back to bite me, but I still Louisville Louisville could win the ACC over Duke ACC regular season. But matching up against Duke, I can't. I cannot wait to see that game because the Cardinals. If you remember the, the the comeback last year, they did not have a point guard who could handle Jordan Goldwire and Trey Jones, and they still do not have a point guard. They brought in a grad transfer, but he has not looked that great to start the year. And personally, I think Duke is a big, major mismatch against Louisville. Uh, you know, if Wendell Moore and Cassius Stanley and company can shut down Jordan Moore. Yeah, and I'll say... For me, what I'm looking forward to the most is uh, chasing that first ACC regular season title in 10 years, and it's I, the narrative kind of across college basketball is that it's a, a down year in terms of uh, top-heavy teams, but Duke is the Duke and Louisville are the top two teams, and it's not really close. Um, they're you know Florida State's pretty good, Virginia they still have a great defense, and then. Well, UNC's problems have been well documented. We don't need to go into that. But it'll be really interesting to see that. And Duke's had really great teams over the last 10 years, obviously. But they haven't been able to put it together. A lot of that's been over the last few years of having a really freshman-heavy team. But this year, at least amongst the leadership, there is a lot of that. There's This feels like a veteran team, even, even though there are four freshmen in the rotation. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see Duke chase that and see if they can get not only that AC regular season title, but then also they won the ACC tournament last year and uh, seeing how they progress with that. Oh, yeah. And you got to remember, last last time they won the regular season, they ended up with that fourth championship banner. But, you know, Duke fans like to harp on uh, on 
Virginia and North Carolina last year for having easy conference schedules. But when you look at Duke this year against, in my in my opinion, Florida State is better than uh, Virginia. And, you know, they have those games against Louisville and Florida State. Both of them are just at home in Cameron Indoor. No games at Florida State or Louisville. So I, you know, I think this is this is setting up perfectly for for Duke to get that first regular season banner since 2010. Yeah, and uh, I apologize. I feel like I'm I'm just reciting Ken Palm a little bit this episode, but uh, Duke is favored in every game remaining, and the only game that's less than 65 percent chance of winning in Duke's favor is at Virginia, February 29th. So. And uh, obviously, neither of us would expect Duke to go through ACC play without any blemishes, but it will be really interesting. Really interesting to see. I mean, Duke really could going to rack up a ton of victories. And I mean, even if even if they drop a couple of these tougher games, I I think I would pick Duke as the the heavy favorite to win the ACC. I think we're both a bit down on Louisville. They're a good team and. They will. I don't know, Louisville is one of the five or ten best teams in the country, but I think Duke is built very well to take down Louisville. And the, and the great news for Duke is, you know, they, there's been the curse of the number one teams this year, and now it's Gonzaga and Gonzaga playing playing out there uh, in their conference schedule. I don't see, I don't see many games they could lose. So you know, hopefully for the Blue Devils, they'll steer clear of that top spot. Yeah, and uh, well, that's. That's all we got for you today. Um, thank you very much for joining me, Shane. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to check out our coverage at DukeChronicle.com. Follow us on Twitter at DukeBasketball, and we'll be here with all your coverage. And Shane will be your guy still for Tuesday's matchup against Boston College. Um, and then, yeah, Duke's embarking on ACC play, and make sure to stay tuned. We'll be very busy, but an exciting kind of busy, and uh, a lot of good basketball ahead of us and so happy new year to everyone for those of you if i don't i don't know if anyone's going to catch this before sundown sunday but happy eighth and a hanukkah to those who are celebrating and have a great day thank you